Welcome to The Structure Show. I'm Tom Krasett, executive editor of Structure, the company that brings you the most informative and useful events in the tech industry. Today, we're going to check in on the first quarter performance of Amazon Web Services, the bellwether cloud company that might just be the standard by which to measure the health of the tech industry in general. We'll also check in on the progress of the world's biggest merger ever, should it actually happen. And we'll also look at the first software release from OpenAI, the joint project from Elon Musk and Sam Altman that's trying to compete with the big AI corporate research groups as a mom-and-pop outfit, although those are two very rich parents. Uh, Barb Darrow of Fortune joins us this week from Boston, fresh off a sweep of the Yankees over the weekend. Congratulations on that, Barb. Yeah, I had a lot to do with it, but you're welcome. Well, I, <laughs> You're welcome, I, Red Sox fans. <laughs> I feel like you are directly responsible for all of the the wonderful things and the horrible things that Boston sports produces. There so, we go. Yeah. Let's kick things off with AWS. And uh, to no one's surprise, AWS continued to be the best example of the growth of cloud computing during the first quarter. It posted revenue of $2.6 billion and operating income of $604 million. Uh, that revenue growth is 64% uh, up compared to the previous quarter last year. Uh, or, excuse me, compared to the same quarter last year. And to me, this is indicative of a few things. One, that cloud computing momentum remains a force unto itself as larger companies start moving workloads into Amazon. Uh, and also, at the same time, that competitive efforts haven't really managed to dent Amazon's momentum. So, Barb, on, on the first Point. I mean, how large do you think this market can possibly get? Are we really talking about like the whole enterprise computing market in general, or would we value it a different way? It's pretty huge. I mean, here's the thing. I mean, I guess the counterbalance to all of this is that when certain workloads get big enough, they do. Some companies actually do take their stuff out of the big enterprise cloud. They come out of Amazon Web Services. But um, that is the exception to the rule. I was talking to the Gartner guys last week, and basically they think that the market is growing so fast that it's all a ton of upside, not just for Amazon, but for, for Microsoft and for Google if it gets its act together and potentially other players. Although, you know, there seems to be this growing train of thought that there's going to be three major players here. Um, I sort of and, wonder you know, about that. You know, we talked about that with the mobile world for such a long time. Like, you know, Apple right. runs out with the iPhone, Google fights back with Android, Microsoft sort of, kind of tries to compete with Windows Phone. <laughs> and, you know, there just wasn't enough room. I mean, enterprise right. technology though is absolutely different. You want more vendors to play off each other, right, and pricing deals and that kind of thing. Well, you know, it's funny. It depends on who you ask about that. If you talk to EMC and Dell people, their their mantra now is companies want fewer. Moving parts, and you know, which of of course is completely self-serving, given this fifty-nine billion dollar merger they're negotiating right now. We'll but, get to that uh, one in a bit. But yeah, yeah we'll I get mean, to that I, one. I, I, but I know I what you're talking think about. Though. Two countervailing thoughts. There's there's <laughs> like the whole one throat to choke, you know, right. mantra. And then, but then there's like, if we have like ninety percent of our IT budget in one company, then what is our leverage going forward? And I think that is actually. I think that's a valid concern. I, I don't think the vendors will tell you that if they have a huge market share, but the smaller vendors will definitely tell you that. Well, so. yeah, I mean, you know, the thing with the cloud computing market is going through a shift, right? Like for a long time, it was really just a startup market. It was, mm -hmm. 
you know, if you were a, a growing company, you just simply didn't even bother investing in server infrastructure. You just threw right. everything in Amazon. And, and that was great for everybody, right? It was great for you as a startup because you didn't have to worry about it. You just knew where things were. The complexity was easy. The pricing wasn't bad. It was certainly better than building your own stuff. Um, you know, as the market shifts, though, and these bigger and bigger companies start coming in, you know, a lot of these things are still the same. You know, in terms of the benefits, the you know everything's in one place. The mm -hmm. pricing is isn't as bad as trying to you know build and maintain your own stuff. Um, but you know, I do wonder about you know the complexity and the. Um, I mean, we've been talking about this a lot, actually. The whole like, is the, is cloud the new lock in? <laughs> you know, right? Is, is, absolutely. Is this the, and so, I mean, you know, Amazon still has this hammer lock on the market, though. Why do you think that is? Is it? Is it just inertia, the fact that they've had, you know, that if you want to move to cloud, Amazon is sort of synonymous with the public cloud, right. at least the infrastructure cloud. It's like the cloud. Kleenex cloud. Well, um, it's, you know, you don't get fired for buying Amazon. I mean, like, it, it, it's at that space. So yeah, I big, just wonder about that. The big gaping hole in all of this is on the call last week, um, you know, with these, you know, first of all, the, the margins on the cloud business, I think it was 23 point, well, it was almost... Oh God, I don't have it. Twenty three point five percent. Yeah, I'm always I'm a little suspicious of those yeah. just because they're operating and they don't necessarily yeah. take into account like what but, it takes to maintain that infrastructure. But I think, but. but I do think that the the fiction of Amazon being cheap is gone, um, and and not profitable is gone. Right. But the 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 really big question which they skirted on the call is they they mentioned. Um, the CFO and the IR guy mentioned that, you know, Aurora, which is one of the Amazon database services, is the fastest growing service in the company's history. But then, of course, they declined to provide numbers. And several analysts asked them specifically, look, what percentage of your business is anything other than EC2, which is compute, uh, EBS, which is block store, and, and uh, S3, which is simple storage? And they don't answer that question. And I think that is a very key question because I think most companies are pretty comfortable using Amazon for those three basic building blocks. But when it comes to these higher level services, databases, workflow, um, I'm trying to think of the other examples, that makes an exit harder going forward. So if you have any trepidations about lock-in, you weigh that decision very carefully. And I think... I don't know what those numbers are, and Amazon isn't sharing. It's kind of like IBM doesn't share what how Watson is doing, you know? Right. Well, and Amazon so, is pretty notorious for not really. I mean, I don't think they've ever okay. said how many Kindles they've sold, you know? And, like, obviously that's done pretty well for them. So, right. yeah. I mean, you know, do you. How do you see this playing out then in terms of the competitive landscape? I mean, if. if if companies are willing to, you know, have lower level things in Amazon, will they use other vendors for higher level things in the cloud? Or well, that's, you know, that's part of this, yeah. part of this is is Amazon making it harder, or you know, and I'm sure Azure and, and Google are doing the same thing as well. But you know, making it harder for you to use the higher level services without having a significant, you know, amount of workloads in the lower level places, right? I mean, that's. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't know the answer. I was just talking to a, uh, one of the big VCs in Silicon Valley this morning and was asking him if his startups, if he sees any traction among his startups for anything other than Amazon. And he said, absolutely not. <laughs> of course, Silicon Valley is kind of anti-Microsoft anyway. But he well, said the only place... Google. I mean, it's a little surprising. Well, and yeah, the price cuts it, that Google's been offering. It's, yeah, it's, but you know, know, they don't... I'm sorry. I don't think Google's getting that much traction either. No, I think uh, you're right. I think Google, they've talked a lot about it, but... 
you know, know the, the bright spot for Google is like the data stuff, the big query, the big table. I think almost everybody loves those things, but I think people still aren't sure that Google like means it when it comes to being a cloud provider. And of course, they're going to be pissed when they hear that. But I think they have a lot to prove still, even though they trot out Diane Green and Eric Schmidt, you know, say nice things at that conference last month about we know not everybody wants to work the way we work, you know, blah, blah, blah. But I just don't see a ton of traction at all. And I think, you know, they, it, I don't think the people at Google really get how other people work. Yeah, I think there's something to that. I think Google has been very clearly trying to combat those perceptions, you know, this spring with the events you mentioned before and a lot of their other um, messaging. I mean, I think that's why Diane Green is there, right, is, is mm -hmm. to try to combat that perception. And, you know, maybe, I mean, maybe Google's fight is for the, you know, the, the more medium, larger size enterprises who don't have that relationship with AWS as they grew. Right. You know, they're not going to get the Pinterest of the world. They're not going to get the um, the Netflixes of the world to switch. They, you know, they might have to just start with companies that weren't cloud native to begin with right. and are just looking right. at moving things over. So, you know, it's it's uh, it's really interesting. And, you know, the one thing I'm sort of also curious about is whether or not Amazon Web Services performance actually turns into a bit of a, a weather vane as far as the health of the startup economy. You know, like right. if, if we... If we are truly worried about bubbles and things like that in Silicon Valley, you know, to me, one of the leading indicators of that could be whether you know Amazon's results. And you're it's absolutely a little, right. Well, I think it's a little early, right? Because it is still a growing overall market because they are getting more business from larger companies and outside the valley and all that. But mm. it's kind of curious, right? I mean, like it just it, it seems like there's potential there. For Amazon to be the new tech bellwether, you know, as this market grows, and you know, to me, that's something we should really we should really look into that at Structure later this year. It's a Mark. really fascinating topic. It's most <laughs> interest. It's the most interesting company out there, in my opinion. I think you're probably right. For better or ill. Uh, well, let's move on then to two companies that were interesting, what, 15 or 20 years ago and, and are trying to <laughs> keep a little bit of momentum going. And that's, of course, we're talking about Dell and EMC, which I feel like we've been talking about forever in terms of this largest merger ever with what seems like forever remaining before this actually happens. Um, right. But, you know, this, uh, this exercise in battleship merging, as Battery Ventures' Adrian Cockcroft put it last year at Structure, gained some momentum this week as Dell presented at EMC World. And so how did the two companies try and sell the benefits of the deal yet again this week? Well, it's, you know, there were some pretty lame jokes on stage about how, you know, the EMC execs have given up their MacBook Airs for Dells. And like, like anyone believes that. No way. <laughs> you know, no uh, exactly. way that happened. <laughs> um, you know, I mean... Their big argument from Michael Dell and Joe Tucci on, and by the way, there was, it was either Joe Tucci or a faux Joe Tucci who was on a hoverboard at one point. I suspect it was a faux Joe Tucci because there was a helmet involved. But I mean, anyway, Joe's kind of getting up there, right? Too. Yeah, just, you know, those he, hoverboards he, are harder than they look. Oh my god, it looked and, and uh, but you know, actually, it was a little bit touching. It was like it was his farewell to EMC. I don't know. Uh, I gotta say, it was a little touching. But anyway. They, the big selling point is that our customers want fewer vendors. And that's, we just talked about that. And I was like, well, that's a big supposition on their part. Well, they want uh, fewer, they want, they want less complexity. Like, yeah, they I, want I think less that complexity. is definitely true, right? But that doesn't mean you get all your, 
you, you know, you put all your eggs in one basket. Right, right. And, and you know, they, there, is, there is some overlap. You know, the, Dell had its, uh, you know, kind of a mid-market storage business, you know, but, but EMC pretty much still owns enterprise storage, you know, these flash guys notwithstanding. And they, they introduced some aggressively priced flash stuff. But their whole thing is kind of like, we're your one-stop shop. Um, there were a couple of interesting things, though, because first of all, there was no high-level VMware presence there. Gelsinger was not there, as he usually is. Is that unusual? I mean, it, it... I think it's pretty unusual, especially given that no one knows what the hell is going on with vCloud Air, which is pretty much, well, they know, but <laughs> unofficially, it's right. pretty much disappeared. And VirtuStream is now the play for EMC. So Rodney Rogers and VirtuStream were front and center at EMC World, but not a lot of VMware. Uh, it's very interesting. I, what do you I would think love that, to be a fly on the wall. Yeah, what do you think that means? Because I think, you know, I feel like in terms of the the EMC Federation was always a complicated beast. And it was yeah. always a little bit difficult to understand who was, you know, up or down in the pecking order. And, and you know, obviously with this deal pending, you know, that pecking order will change yeah. quite a bit. And, and you know, I, I, I don't know. We can, we can be a little too guilty of Kremlinology, I think, when it comes to mm -hmm. things like this. And then so... You know, I mean, I think I think this is a complicated deal that even the people involved aren't totally sure what it's going right, to mean right. in a year or two. But well, Michael Dell's now talking about the EMC, uh, the Dell EMC family of companies. So we've gone from federation to family. Family's a little friendlier than federation. Yeah. This federation's like <laughs> like guess. Star Wars, right? But, I mean, like is the that dark worth side and all billion that. Dollars? I don't know. Uh, and uh, you know, uh, I the, I guess the shareholder vote, which was supposed to be in May, has. You know, I guess it's pushed back a little bit, but I think, I mean, there, this deal's going to go through. I mean, it seems like why not? You know, like as long as Dell well, can line up the financing, right? I mean, it's it's you know, it's one of those deals where everyone's like, well, okay, give it a shot. You know, it's it's hard. I just hard don't see where the customer it. benefits. I really don't. Well, and who are these customers? I mean, who like who are the customers that they are counting on? to look at their pitch and weigh it against all these other pitches that you can look at in 2016 and go, mm -hmm. yeah, that's the one I want. I mean, it seems like they're more just like looking for, you know, kind of the way IBM does where it's like you have your existing customer base and you're just looking to wring as much revenue out of them as right. you can. I just don't see the growth customer. De well, Dell field. has probably more SMBs than, than EMC ever did. Um, so I guess you could look at it that way, but I still don't get it. But they're non-tech SMBs, right? Who, yeah. I mean, those people should be with Amazon. You know, small yeah. medium businesses should be moving their needs over well, to, no, over to no the cloud that way, right? No non-tech companies are going to go to Amazon because nobody understands how to use it except for developers. Well, so. and then maybe yeah. this is the play for a company like Dell EMC is for you know to get the small medium, I don't know, insurance companies of the world right. to you know right. kind of look at their their products and. You know, explain and like you say, explain it in a way. I mean, you know, the one thing that I think a lot of these cloud companies, you know, haven't done quite as well, is have like those big hand-holding enterprise sales forces right. that you know people like Dell and EMC have been rolling out for twenty years to try to get you know people who are not as comfortable with technology into the technology fold. So, right, you know, maybe that's how they're thinking about it. But right. Uh, I don't know. Well, there's a lot of cheap ta trash talking out at HP as well. So, you know, just to make sure that we were uh, amused, that was kind of fun. Well, so. I've always admired the, <laughs> the the amount of cheap trash talking in the enterprise computing market it's is very kind fun. of amazing considering what we're 
talking well, if you look about. at like Larry Ellison and you know, it's, it's pretty awesome. Larry actually. Ellison is the Gary Payton of uh, Enterprise <laughs> trash talking. I think. Yeah, we had to get him into the show somehow, right? Oh, and so we should. We'd be remiss if we did not um, mention what the new name of the uh, the family of companies is going to be. Oh, it's really exciting. Wait a minute, I have to go back and look. My colleague Dan Primick wrote about this. People were reading about it from his story before it was announced. It's Dell Technologies, isn't Dell it? Dell Technologies. And then the enterprise-focused stuff, I believe, is going to be called Dell EMC. Is that right? Did I get that right? I've got to go back and look. I believe so. It's so, so creative. But, yeah. <laughs> well, it's kind of – I mean, you know, I am a little surprised that the EMC brand would get pushed down a little bit. But, um, yeah. I mean, I guess that's how it works, right? Like if you yeah. if you make the takeover, you get the brand. So I guess so. There's a you know, somebody on Twitter was saying they should have called the whole thing Run Run DMC. Oh, that's actually kind of <laughs> good. Pretty good, actually. But anyway, for the older ones of us, uh, no, no one involved in that deal may know who Run DMC is, though. So there's there's that. But you know they're gonna have Duran Duran and Duran Duran, Duran Duran, <laughs> and uh, Fitz and the Tantrums as their entertainment tonight. I kind of wish I'd gone. Oh boy. Anyway, so finally today, let's talk about OpenAI, which is uh, a little bit lower on the on the uh, organizational totem pole than something like Dell Technologies. Uh, we brought this group up before on the podcast, but for the uninitiated, OpenAI is a project backed by Elon Musk of Tesla, SpaceX fame, and Sam Altman, the head of influential Silicon Valley startup incubator Y Combinator. And this project wants to make AI research as open and as accessible as possible to the masses. And we, I was looking at an article from Wired last week and, you know, kind of at the occasion of the first software release from OpenAI. Um, and, you know, it was interesting in, in, in examining the challenges that OpenAI faces in trying to at- attract the research talent that you need to compete, you know, in AI these days. They, they actually compared it to... Um, this you have to put up as much money to get a top tier AI researcher these days as you do an NFL quarterback prospect. Wow, which, that's that's bigger than a data scientist, isn't it? Well, we've heard. I mean, you know, ex- exorbitant uh, you know salaries and and stock packages have been around in Silicon Valley for a very very long time, but that's the first time I've ever heard them compared to quarterback. Uh, yeah. Holy crap! So. You know, and you know, this is an operation, OpenAI. I mean, it's 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 got some some healthy parents, but it's not necessarily funded at at the same degree as you know the AI research labs at places like Facebook and Microsoft and Google, where you know AI is one of the most significant things they're working on in terms of right. their future development. So, have any of those companies signed on? That's what I don't. I'm, I'm scrolling through. Looking. Well, it's interesting because you know, I mean, one thing I've looked at, you know, as we as we uh, ran up to structure data in the earlier part of the year, I, I was taking a look at a lot of the AI community, and you know, it's interesting in that it's still small enough where it's kind of still in science fair mode, you know, meaning mm-hmm. people share information pretty openly. And, and mm-hmm. you know, it, it's a little bit more of a collegial Like Google atmosphere. TensorFlow, for example. Well, yeah. you know, so are really so, excited about. You know, Google open sources that, you know, Facebook shares a lot of information. Um, you know, Jan LeCun, who, who runs AI for Facebook, you know, is an academic at heart. And I, and I think has that sort of mentality that like, look, we have to you know, I, I joined Facebook because of the resources I can bring to bear on this problem, but we'll all benefit if we share a lot of our research. And, you know, I think I, you know, Peter Lee, who spoke at Structured Data, you know, felt very much the same way. Peter Lee of Microsoft, I should say. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, th- there is 
there is a spirit of open collaboration within AI that you don't see in things like, you know, public cloud computing, for example. But um, you know, <laughs> or you I, have a bunch of black boxes. Right? Well, yeah. I mean, it's just it, well, it's too competitive, right? You just you can't yeah. you can't share data because you're it, you know it's it's proprietary for a reason. I mean, Apple doesn't share the you know the way it puts together iOS for obvious reasons. So. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm kind of wondering, though, if OpenAI is one of those famous Silicon Valley exercises in openness. And yes, I, I just did do air quotes on the other side of the mic here, <laughs> you know, in which, you know, there's a group that tries to tack to the open side of the debate um, until it comes up with something so valuable that it can't really share it. Right. There you go. I mean, open... well, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting. I mean, I think open compute uh, project has had some success. I mean, it started, didn't, hasn't it? I mean... It started with Facebook. It's kind oh, of like certainly. open source hardware uh, for web scale. Uh, so I think that's how, but they don't see that as a competitive advantage. You well, know, like kind of, it, I mean, openness and open source have have developed so many of the very basic enterprise technologies that we talk about every week. You know, like it, it, it that that um, development you know process has really fueled a lot of a lot of this, and and you know, it's made it. The argument for it, I think, is that it spreads the good stuff faster. You know, like right. like once once we've all settled on the oh yeah, that is the best project for this type of problem. Like we should all use this, and you know, everyone tends to really fall in line. And you know, you, Hadoop is a great example of that. And mm-hmm. um, you know, the, 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 there's tons of great examples of it. So I think OpenAI is kind of thinking about this same kind of thing with respect to AI. And you know, I think Open Compute is also a good. Um, proxy for that. I, to me, the difference here is that, you know, open compute for Facebook is like, you know, Facebook's infrastructure obviously is a competitive advantage in a cer- to a certain extent, mm-hmm. but, you know, the, the best stuff, they don't release the best stuff right away, right? Like the the, right, the, the right. most cutting edge stuff they're they're sort of working on in their, um, in their own labs. And then once they perfect it, then they sort of start to release it. And, you know, Google and Microsoft are kind of the same way. AI to me is much more core to the future of these web services that Facebook and certainly Google offer and, you know, Microsoft Mm -hmm. to some degree as well. So, you know, I mean, how open, I guess, I can see how Facebook, Microsoft and Google could could stop that collegial, uh, you know, information sharing that, that exists now, you know, once this really starts to heat up. So Mm -hmm. then can open AI be the gap that, that you know does allow more and more people to use these this type of technology right, in their apps. Right. So basically, you know, a, a commonly agreed upon core, and then in a, it's kind of like I feel like I'm doing an OpenStack talk, well, and then yeah, innovation atop the core. You know, um, these are good. You know, it's ideas, really you know they're not necessarily really implemented well. But um, I don't know if you saw this thing that came out of the Milken conference this week. There's a guy, a hedge not. fund guy, David Siegel, who I don't really follow, but. He was interviewed about AI and risks and stuff, and he really, he came out, you know, kind of with, you know, Elon Musk and Bill Gates last year and Stephen Hawking, all these guys came out and said, look, we have to be very careful about deploying stuff. This is more science fiction stuff, but, you know, AI has risks, and even some of the technologists are kind of wondering now about, so, I mean, this is more an ethical thing than a tech thing, but I think it's interesting that we've got these tech guys and now hedge fund guys worrying about the ethics of AI. Hedge fund guys. Yeah, hedge fund guys don't worry about the ethics I of anything. Say I mean, that. Come on. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, I do. I think you're right. I think it's you know, one of the things that struck me. Um, I, Google recently transitioned um, 
the head of their search leadership, you know, Am- Amit Singhal, who had led the group for practically a decade and, 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 you know, oversaw like Google search, which is, you know, obviously the most important thing at Google. Um, mm-hmm. You know, he stepped down and retired was the way they put it. And, you know, the man has certainly paid his dues and, and, you know, is, is ready for, for the, for the next uh, thing in his life. Yeah. You know, but one of the things that came out of that was that, you know, Google is switching a lot of its algor- search algorithmic development to machine learning and AI, you know, in order to come up with the results. And, and apparently, according to one report that I read, Singhal was actually nervous about this because, you know, in a lot of cases, we don't necessarily understand how AI, well, but even more basic <laughs> right. than that, we don't understand how it works. Right. Like, like a lot of advanced neural net technology and you know, advanced machine learning and like it'll come up with a result. It'll spit out a result. But then you're sit you're sitting there going, well, OK, how did you get there? You know, like show me right. your work. And, and it doesn't it doesn't really work. It doesn't people don't understand it, it to the way. same degree. And, you know, it, it, that's a it, you know, it's obviously an edge case and it's obviously early. And but that's a weird thing, I think, to, to start deploying a technology widely that a lot of the best people in technology are kind of like, well, do we really know how this works? Yeah. It, that's it, it, I don't know. Creepy crawly. Well, but that's maybe the idea behind OpenAI, right? Like, is yeah. that if if we can do the work in public or you know within the open source community type of project, um, that you know maybe we can understand this a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but yeah. sunshine, you know, sunshine disinfectant, all that kind of stuff. I mean, I think there's something to it. I I, I do wonder. I I certainly wonder about how open open AI really will be if it starts to actually make breakthroughs because. There's no doubt that companies like Tesla and SpaceX could certainly use some AI uh, technology that, you know, especially Tesla, you know, artificial intelligence, machine learning is going to be a huge part of the driverless car, obviously, and Tesla's going to do that. Um, And, you know, it's also, you know, interesting for why Combinator startups to have access to AI technologies that they, you know, can't really afford to license from anywhere else that they could get from a project like OpenAI. So there are some pretty clear commercial benefits to both uh, backers of, of the project. And, you know, we'll just have to see how this works out, you know, whether or not the altruistic concerns went out over the commercial concerns as it moves forward. Yep. But I think that's about all the time we have today. Uh, so thanks very much, Barb, uh, as usual. And thanks to all of you for listening. That's uh, That wraps up this week's edition of The Structure Show. 